Literally in that context, there's nothing you could do but try and see what sticks. There was no thinking. There was just try, 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 works, keep trying. Not a lot of people are worried, are, are focusing on, that I think we should be focusing on, is what the medical profession is called, is calling the fourth wave, or the fourth order. The fourth wave is, is being called the tsunami. Gaming was much bigger in kind of South Korea and places like that than here. So there's a game called Lineage, and then World of Warcraft took out here. But but some of these, some of those economies, like the currency inside those environments, one of them got to be as big as the GDP of Russia. The two driving forces uh, in in the last cycle, the last 70-year cycle, were democracy, right, with the falling of the Berlin Wall, uh, and capitalism. बेंगलुरु में रहने वाले लू और अमेरिका में रहने वाले सेट आपसे कुछ बात करना चाहते हैं संगीतकार राजस्व के साथ आपका स्वागत है लूसिडी व्हाट्स गोइंग ऑन पीपल My name is Sid and welcome back to another episode of Lucid. On this episode we have a really curious and fascinating professor, Professor Tony O'Driscoll. He is a strategy and marketing professor at Duke and I'm always inspired by his curiosity and it was because of him I discovered my curiosity. On this episode we talk about the different types of thinking and dive deep into each of them. We also talk about the rate of change of innovation cycles and whether governments can keep up. We also talk about is there a possibility of digital countries and finally we talk about the future of metaverse. I really enjoyed this episode and I hope you do too. And please do subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thank you. Professor I just want to get right into it. Mm. I I think I want to start off with this particular question where as a kid when I was growing up I thought studying would make me smart and IQ was the only par- parameter where I was judging people or comparing myself with and then as I grew up I got to know another term called EQ emotional quotient recently I've been uh, you know hearing a lot about fr- first principles thinking critical thinking systems thinking what what is your take on this like what is the difference between like say critical thinking versus systems thinking yeah thanks so so yeah iq eq and 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 bill bolding my good friend the dean at fuqua also talks about dq decency quotient mm-hmm. um um yeah i think i have i have language that i've kind of developed over time dicit called uh, clean thinking right? right so so and and the way i define that is thinking away the stuff that doesn't matter to leave to leave the residue that really does matter uh or sometimes i talk about it as the simplicity that's on the other side of complexity and and whatever you do in whatever job you're in um i think that clean thinking really matters now in some instances that can be systems thinking uh, it, it, the, the way you have to think kind of depends on the context you're operating in if you're operating in a in a predictable context where the rules are known uh, and it's very axiomatic like those of us who have engineering backgrounds i mean that's how that's how science works is you kind of you, you build a heuristic or an abstraction of reality that is dependable reliable valid uh, consistent over time gravity is 9.8 meters per second and then you apply uh, rigor and discipline around axioms and equations 
to get a repetitive outcome. Um, and one of the things that I think engineers learn that is very valuable is the rigor of bottoming things out, the rigor of okay. doing the work all the way from mm -hmm. the kind of problem statement through the calculus, through the algebra to the answer, if okay. you know what I mean. Um, I think something that then becomes a challenge for engineers, speaking for myself, but also you know working with, with students, engineering students, is um, the rigor is great, but then letting go of that rigor and applying the rigor on abstract uh, situations. Now that's where you start to get into systems dynamics. Uh, so, so that's mm -hmm. where you have feedback loops. And to understand systems thinking, you kind of really need to understand um, feedback loops that are reinforcing, feedback loops that are balancing, you know, and also the, the function of delay. And delay is the hardest thing to do. So, so there's a there's a there's a whole language around systems thinking where you can describe, uh, you know, common patterns, things like tragedy of the commons or limits to growth, and so on and so forth. And and, and that's that's a lens through which I, I was just trained in that. Funnily enough, I was trained in that as an engineer because I was an electronics engineer. Uh, and so, okay, so yeah. there's mathematics around this for power power systems so that they don't blow up. But it's very much the same way of thinking with systems thinking with the with the systems loop diagrams that, you know, Forrester from from MIT, I think, Harvard or MIT, and then, you know, popularized perhaps a little bit more with Peter Senge and others um, to actually to literally map out the systems dynamic and what's going on. Uh, first principles thinking, probably mostly attributed to the kind of Musk and how Musk, Elon Musk and how he thinks is, is kind of he's very he's a physics oriented guy. Right. So similar to what okay. I said about science, but it's kind of like it's re, it's really breaking things down, um, breaking things down to first principles. And, and, and in fact, I just recently saw or maybe I was I was at a yeah, I was at a conference where he was speaking and he was talking about this and he's like, you know, at the end of the day, if you had to pick one discipline, it's probably physics because physics is, you know, he knows a lot about a lot, but he said physics is kind of his core. And that's getting down to first principles, axioms, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, now, you have to weigh that. I guess what I'm trying to say is depending on the context you're in, you have to invoke a different way of, of thinking. Um, uh, so depending on the context you're in, uh, first principles thinking can be really good. Uh, but also then, in a dynamic context, you might want to think about systems thinking. Then um, critical thinking is is essentially you you it's almost like the dialectic hegelian dialectic so 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 you almost want to in in, in that way of thinking um you want to remain open but you also mm -hmm. want to call, almost argue for the devil's advocate you want to take the opposite position or you want to take the counterfactual right. position and and, right. and play that one out uh, because if you are in a if you're in a kind of a dynamic and unpredictable type world you have to kind of think about not first principles thinking like going down to the metal, so to speak, but uh, but first, second, third, and fourth order effects. So what are the what are the okay. waves? I'll give you an example of that. When we talk about COVID today, right? Mm -hmm. um, the first wave of COVID was essentially when we got hit by the pandemic and our and our uh, medical systems weren't designed to deal with that, and so we didn't have okay. ventilators yeah. and people died. The second wave that hit the medical system was all the people who had chronic conditions who were not able to go to the hospital when it was being absorbed by COVID. And the third okay. wave um, was the people with kind of acute conditions, uh, but, but 
less chronic, less serious. There were chronic right. continuous conditions. And so the, the, the medical system kind of got hit with three waves of surges of demand. Uh, that's a first, second, and third order effect, if you will, of COVID. The fourth order right. effect, which is one that I think um, not a lot of people are worried, are, are focusing on, that I think we should be focusing on, is what the medical profession is called is calling the fourth wave or the fourth order effect, mm -hmm. and the fourth fourth wave is is being called the tsunami of medical okay. maladies of mental maladies. Is that um, right. everybody on the planet went through some kind of existential threat, challenge, concern, mm -hmm. worry, however you want to call it, um, and and we're only starting to see now how big that right. next wave is going to be. And it's also going to hit the medical system. So that's another way of thinking is thinking kind of thinking in terms of waves and, and how a particular decision you take will ripple through the system. Uh, complexity theory is yet another way to think about things and, and decision making in different environments. If you want to think about now, uh, there's thinking and then there's deciding. And but thinking is to help you decide, right? Um, the thing we have to worry about with complexity is that um, is, is, is Einstein's <laughs> requisite law of complexity. When things are complex and their system dynamics like we talked about, you can't, um, you can't break the problem down below the level of complexity of the system. Okay. So, so you, sometimes we want to oversimplify things and then we solve it at a level of complexity below what the real level of complexity of the situation is and then okay. you don't get a good solution because we, we haven't mm -hmm. honored the complexity that's in that environment. So number okay. one is understand the context that you're in. And then number two yeah. is bring these different ways of thinking and arguably two or three of them, diverse the perspective and okay. how you look at things to kind of frame the challenge that you're working in. So, so um, I have a model that I developed uh, some time ago now to, when, when organizations were having to deal with this, you know, technology came along cycle times get faster, things are more connected, things become more right. unpredictable. And it's, it's called perceiving, sense-making, and choreography. Perceiving is uh, seeing the problem with fresh eyes through different lenses. How do I frame uh, you know, the particular right. issue? Uh, and there's a lot of errors in how we frame the issues. Typically, we, we tend to want to oversimplify it. And then when we solve for the oversimplified breakdown, it, it doesn't it doesn't resolve it doesn't you don't get the outcome you're looking for sense making then is trying to use those different frames to understand what's truly going on you know in some cases that's a right. root cause analysis in other cases it's a it's a nth and uh, order effect analysis in others it might be a systems dynamic analysis but the goal there is to really identify i call it wmm what matters most what is well, you know what, what's the smallest what's the smallest movement that have the most disproportionate leverage on the outcome you're looking for right um, right and then thirdly is choreography because um, the nature of problems today is multidisciplinary and so in an organization context which is what I teach you know business stuff um, organizations are organized into functions and most of the solutions don't organize into functions they're multidisciplinary mm -hmm. and so you have to learn how to orchestrate or coordinate across multiple different silos within the organization in order to get it okay. to do what it needs to do so perceiving sense making choreography understanding the perceivings about understanding the the nature of the context you're in sense making okay. is about using those different kinds of thinking whether it's critical or systems or so on and so forth and then choreography is kind of uh, bringing to bear the right resources and capabilities to address the issue as you have hopefully accurately defined it. 
I don't know if that, I think does that make sense from what you shared uh, one the main thing I think people miss is the context yeah, right? That's right like how do you use this particular type of thinking in this particular context so uh, can you talk more about like what do you mean by context is it like engineering versus business people versus technology how does like what kind of context are we talking about here? uh well so so there's another model i developed that is about kind of trying to parse the context so mm -hmm. so in the world we live in today i'm i'm more now i'm in the domain of business and decision making rather than the domain of philosophy like we get lost right. in philosophy for right <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll pull back out of that and just look at business um so, so uh, there's a, a, a x-axis I use that is certainty of outcome. If I pull this lever, that light will turn on. And if I pull this lever 100 times, the light will turn on 100 times. So outcome predictability okay. is really high. And then mm -hmm. environmental certainty is really high. I know exactly what's going on, and I know which lever to pull to get that outcome. So one is kind of what okay. buttons or levers do I pull or push, and knowing which hmm. ones to pull or push, that's environment. And then outcome is... I know exactly cause and effect on what, what I do, right? Turn this knob, okay. pull this lever, always get that particular outcome. In a mechanical engineering oriented type of world, outcome predictability high, environmental certainty mm. super high. Do this, get okay. that, cause and effect, tightly linked and repeat. True. Uh, the only problem is that the world is not that way most of the time. Of mm. course, if you're going to build a bridge, you're going to build a bridge and, and we, we have figured out this is the thing with physics. I mean, we have Newtonian physics and we know how to build bridges, but then we have quantum physics and we know how to look at, you know, at, 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 at right. that level. But both of those, actually, there's not a theory that kind of pulls them all together. Everyone's trying to find this physical. So there, there, there's ways that we can explain things at different dimensions. But, but this is the one, this is the one challenges. I, mean, I suppose we'd have to go into a little bit of philosophy here. So, so um, before we had science and we, before we had the Enlightenment, uh, we dealt with faith, religion, you know, okay. it, it was, yeah. it was a God or some extra, you know, um, something beyond, some deity, yes. you know, inshallah yeah. in, 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 mm. in, in, in the Islamic tradition is God willing, you know, in, in, in the Christian faith, yeah. uh, polytheistic faith as well, that, that there's something otherworldly that, that determines, yeah. and you're more fatalistic. It's just, Hey, and then the scientific revolution comes along, the enlightenment comes along and says, no, through science, we can we can prove things are true. Now, now that's that's a challenge in and of itself. So, you can definitely prove things. Gravity is nine point eight meters per second, and the scientific methods allows us to understand those things. Okay. But in the in the whole universe that is life, science can probably explain point oh 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 one percent of that, because you know. Uh, I don't know how to prove that my wife loves me. Yeah, you know exactly, what I'm trying to yeah. say. So, so there's a lot of things. Human behavior. Now, now I do believe that. So that's uh, yeah. that's a truth, but it's not a provable truth. You know what I mean? It's scientifically. Mm. So sometimes I think we over rotate on trying to use science to. The tool of science thing. is not suited to the kind of question we're trying to solve as it relates to truth. Um, so, so, so we had the you know we had we had kind of. Faith, faith, and, and belief, and then we had science, and, that, and then we had, you know, uh, the post-rationalist kind of world where it's like, no, everything is just kind of subjective. So that's kind of you know the postmodern mo world, and now we're I think we're moving to something that we call metamodern, which kind of says we we actually you know there's some things that you that are just belief-based 
and, and can't be proven. Mm. There's some things that can be proven, and there's some things that are truly subjective. And depending, again, on the context that you're operating in, okay. one or other of those might work. It's not right or wrong. It's it's what what is the context. And now, on context, I call that the X factor. So con, uh, my, my one liner on that is uh, content is king. Here's the content mm. for strategy, Deek shit. Here's the content for transform. Regurgitate the framework right. to me, Deek shit. Let's make sure you get a good A on the test. Right. Um, that has actually very little to do with your success in business. You know, the, the real success mm -hmm. in business, I think, is, is discernment and knowing how to perceive mm -hmm. sense, make, and choreograph and, and knowing how to work with and through people. Uh, because at the end right. of the day, organizations are nothing but people. Now, all those frameworks and everything you learn in, in, in MBA school or business school um, are very helpful. Knowing the language is helpful. Mm -hmm. Knowing the mechanics of how you know, businesses create profit is helpful. But all of that kind of pales in insignificance compared to what you said, you know, just before we came on the air here is that the leadership management course was the one that was a real eye opener for you. And I would argue yeah. as you go on in your career, that will be the one that will probably stay with you the most. The rest are, you know, as somebody who teaches strategy and marketing, I mean, I do a lot of work in leadership outside of the school. I don't teach that per se at the school. But I right. think that's the one that separates those who succeed from those who don't. Uh, technical knowledge is kind of relatively easily acquired, but, um, hmm. you know, human relational knowledge is, is kind of, you can get the theory, but then you actually have to practice it and, and you have to get good at practicing it. So, um, so, so yeah, that's a whole nother thing. If you, are you dealing with, uh, inanimate objects <laughs> or are you doing yeah. <laughs> uh, animate objects or are you dealing with sentient beings who are self-aware okay. and the, the, then this is the one thing is. Uh, humans, as we were just talking about before we came on the air, are predict predictably or irrational, as Dan would say. Exactly. That, um, yes. we, we, we do not operate as rational actors. Uh, mm -hmm. I think, you know, a lot of a lot of economics is predicated on this notion that we're rational actors um, mm -hmm. and that we that we will, you know, it's it, it's self-interest that we we act in our own self-interest. And, and if you stand back and think about it, uh, anybody who's a parent who has a child is very rarely acting in their own self-interest. They're acting in the interest of their children. They sacrifice in True. the interest of their children. Many yeah. kids who come to Duke, their parents have toiled for 30 years or whatever it is to True. pay for their kids to go. That's not self-interest, that's other. Yeah. So, so I think there's, there's a fair, there, there are some, um, some underlying assumptions to traditional economic theory that perhaps should be questions at, at that assumption level. Do we have the context mm. right? If, and, and this is the okay. thing with models um, models, by definition, are abstractions of reality. So you, the goal, is, as a whatever, an academic or a theory builder, is to is to try to build a model that that um, accurately represents what's going on, but simplifies it enough that we can get some predictability to it. But by definition, anytime you're doing that, you're abstracting it away. And 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 the closer we get to a more generalizable model, the further we are from the context. Okay. You see what I'm saying? So this is a bit of a yeah. paradox, right? So mm. we go from we go kind of go from a heuristic to an algorithm. You know, this is why we're trying to get into AI and how does it how does it all work? Um, so, so so, and then we could go into all that with the tech and the AI and you know, what's the human machine interface going to look like? GPT three. Well, now yeah. a lot of us in the field have known about GPT three for a long time, but I guess Chat GPT is blowing people's minds and saying, one. "Oh my gosh, nobody's ever going to write an essay <laughs> for college anymore." And, and how yep. are we going to, you know, and then the question is, oh, how are we going to stop people cheating? And I'm going, that's the wrong question. The question is, yeah. here's a tool that, that businesses are definitely going to use 
Uh, so how do we teach leaders and managers to work with this new technological affordance so that the organization yeah. can do better? Because I don't know any executive out there who's going to say, I'm sorry, we're not allowed to use that. That's they are, Of course they're going to use it, <laughs> right? Um, so anyway. That's true. I think, uh, as you said, like with respect to taking a complex theory and like simplifying, simplifying it, mm -hmm. right? And you said like, there are like some complex things that you can't oversimplify mm -hmm. it because then the solutions you get out of it are wrong. Mm -hmm. So how do you know, like, this is the point where I should stop simplifying a complex system? Well, a lot of times, so, so my observation in that is, uh, if you go back to this outcome and environment, yeah, the outcome, the certainty of the outcome, the predictability of the outcome and the kind of ability to manipulate the environment, right? Um, Right. My observation is as follows: that I, I don't, I can't give you empirical numbers, but I would say more often than not, when people are faced with a problem, they mm -hmm. tend to want to break it down into pieces. That's what we're all taught: is right. just break it down. Right? Yep. Um, so inherent in that very initial thing is to break it down is to assume that it it's ultimately a simple solution. Right. Yeah. So I would say more often than not, we underestimate the complexity of the situation we're currently dealing with. Mm -hmm. And secondly, okay. then the second, so that, that's what I call a type one error. Type one error is misdiagnosing the context. And, and when okay. I use that now, I'm asking about the level of complexity to the context. Mm -hmm. So is it a simple context? Is it a complicated context? Is it a complex okay. context or is it a chaotic context? Those are the four Right. Rough, you know, the many, many other uh, academics have kind of identified those those areas. You know, it, it, many. Dave Snowden would be one. You probably ran into his work in, in decision making. Mm -hmm. um, and, and each one of those is like a different context that requires different approaches to to deal with it. Um, when Rudy Giuliani was the mayor of New York, it seems like an eternity ago now, uh, given all the news <laughs> that's been going on about him, he was the mayor of New York during 9-11. Um, and in 9-11, nobody had really been in the position of being in a mayor where, being a mayor where that had happened, and people Correct. dying and so on and so forth. And yeah. literally in that context, there's nothing you could do but try and see what sticked. There was, there was, no, mm -hmm. there was no thinking. There was just Definitely. try, 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 works, keep trying, you know? Okay. That's a very different model than build. You don't want to build a bridge that way. Got but it. in this particular instance, the context is totally chaotic. And in a context, mm -hmm. in, in a chaotic context, all you can do is try. And if, if, if it, at first it succeeds, keep trying till it stops. And then ultimately okay. you might see patterns. And the idea is you, you, you want to, you, you can look at that one of two ways. You can push through tr trial and error to the other side of that complexity where the, where, where the, mm -hmm. where the, the safe harbor is, uh, or you can try to solve it, to bring it back into the realm of the complex and then bring it back to the realm mm -hmm. of the complicated and bring it back into the realm of the simple. So you can either look at it as a circular model or look at it as kind of right. coming up to the edge of chaos and then trying to trying to bring it back from the brink. Um, right. So that's what right. I mean yeah, by context. Uh, the context I really, when I'm talking about that, is what, it's almost like when you're playing music, it's like what key are we in? Are we in the simple key? Mm -hmm. Are we in the chaotic right. key? Are we in the complex key? Right. Or are we in the are we in the complicated key? Right. Yeah, I think that's very important. I think generally when we think about problems, even me, like when I think about a problem, I directly think about the problem, but I don't think about the context. Is it uh, is it ambiguity? Mm -hmm. uh, what I'm solving for is it complexity? Mm -hmm. I think once we 
uh, think about that, it helps you give out an effective solution. Right. Now, once you've done that one, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how far you want to go into this, but this, no, this is what ahead. I mean by clean thinking. Uh, so, so that's the complexity axis. So, so, so to me, uh, there's, I, I, I flipped now. I'm going into a different framework. So, so within the one framework, I'm now making one axis out of a matrix that I just showed you. But now, okay. so that 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 matrix collapses into one axis, and that axis is the degree of complexity. Simple, hmm. uh, complicated, complex, and chaotic. Right. Now, the second factor that's bearing on that, that kind of has a, a, a bit of a, a loop or a cycle is the rate of change. Now, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about things speeding up. I'm talking about a change in the rate of change. So, distance to velocity is the right. is the first derivative. Velocity is the first derivative right. of distance. Okay? And and then acceleration is the second derivative of distance or the first derivative of velocity. Right. And jerk uh, is the third derivative, and snap is the fourth derivative, and crackle is the fifth de derivative, and pop is the sixth derivative. And, I, and I'm not kidding about that. That you know, in physical, oh. physical physics, back to Musk again, uh, th those are known. But it's the rate of change. It's you're going from speed to acceleration. Now, when you go from acceleration to jerk, the only people who've actually physically felt that are astronauts, because you, you kind of you hit hyperspace. You go beyond it. Right. You go. You, you're, you're deriving acceleration. You're going to the next level. So, mm. so a lot of people are going. Wow, things seem to go so fast. Fa no, not only are things going fast, they are accelerating, and not only are they accelerating, they are jerking. So, on the one axis, we've got uh, a tendency for increased complexity, and on the other axis, we have a change in the rate of change. I don't just mean faster. Mm. Faster is just one thing. Faster means going from right. faster to acceleration. But what I'm saying is there, there's actually six different degrees. degrees of the rate of change. Right. And when you're up at the top right-hand corner, things mm -hmm. do pop. Snap, crackle, and pop, mm -hmm. right? So right. we tend to try to want to stay you know, in the jerk <laughs> level, so to speak, right? <laughs> um, and, 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 and that, to me, measures something that, that is true uncertainty. That you, 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 there's no predictability in which direction you should go in. So, so right. if you're at chaos and, and, and if you're at chaos and you're at and you know, hyperspeed, it's going to yeah. be really hard. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and if you're in that kind of environment, it makes absolutely no sense to try to break the problem down. You have mm -hmm. to live with the problem because one of the problems with complexity is, um, you are not removed from the situation. Your agency in the system right. changes the system. It's like Heisenberg, you know, in Heisenberg's right. uncertainty principle. In one instance, it's a, it's a, it's a wave. In another instance, it's, a, it's an electron kind of thing. Um, Got it. And, and your very interaction with the system causes the system to change. So there's no, mm. there's no stable axiom upon which to build it. Everything's kind of connected right. and it moves around. Now, there are ways to make sense of that, right? That's what I mean by sense-making. But that would be more of a systems dynamic type model rather than a reductionist model. Got it. And yeah. uh, the other question I had with this, uh, you know, the other axis of rate of change mm -hmm. is you gave an example of the mayor of New York during the 2611 mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. uh, could you give an example in the business context where it's a chaotic uh, problem and the rate of change is so fast that like uh, businesses have to just live with it. Like any example. Uh, Airbnb like dealing with COVID-19. Hmm. Their business model is predicated on putting people into homes that they don't normally live in. 
it's a platform. Right. Uh, it's, it's, it's a marketplace right. between hosts and guests. Um, right. And um, whatever their strategic plan was, normally if you look at a 10K report, they also talk about, you know, contingencies and what, how might we worry. And, you know, I work for many insurance companies and there are all kinds of existential risks. There are these things called super volcanoes. And if one of them blows, then we're all screwed kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and, and all of, if you go back now and you look at these uh, 10K type of reports where you go under risk, they all kind of mention, yeah, there might be an epidemic or we can deal with a super volcano. But, but it's kind of like the risk of that is it, we want to call it out, but we're not actually, we don't have them really planned about for it. it. Um, yeah, and then it hits you right in the face. So, so I mean, something like COVID for business was was accelerated for some. You know, if you were in the digital gaming business, like you know, Epic here or EA or whatever, well, you're rocking and rolling. If you're Netflix, you're rocking because consumption just went way up. Uh, but if you're in a business where you know, um, where hotels, so now you're in a context that's completely the world literally shifted overnight. And 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 doing what you did before wouldn't work. It's not going to work. Right. Yeah. Because before you're like, where's the next hotel I'm going to open and how do I promote it? Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's okay. not the question you have to ask anymore kind of thing, you see? So mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, when, when we think about disruptive events, a lot of times, you know, when we talk about, well, creative destruction, Schumpeterian, back to economics, uh, not, not Adam Smith's economics, but the Austrian economics, people like Schumpeter, who, who talk about... Um, they talk about creative destruction, that, that you know, technology comes along and changes the rules. Uh, and that's a good thing because in changing the rules, it kind of gets rid of the old and brings in the new, but that's creative destruction. Some, some, somebody got destroyed. Yeah, buggy whip, buggy, buggy whip manufacturers got destroyed by the automobile. Uh, it's not their fault, but they were, they, they were a support function to an industry that disappeared because... It was a better, cheaper, faster way to do it with a new technology. We didn't mm. know at the time that the stuff coming out the tailpipe of that new technology was going to kind of <laughs> cause cause issues for our planet at that time. And that's another issue. So there you have a technological solution that's really cool. And we got these pistons at fire. We got these little explosions going. And, you know, it's better than horses pooping on the street. So let's go ahead and do it. Yeah. But here we are, whatever, you know, 60, 80 years <laughs> later, and we're starting to recognize that 26% of the kind of emissions that are pumping carbon up into the air come, come from that very... Because of the yeah. technology. So there, there would be like a fourth order effect of, you know, you, you, can I, you blame the engineer who came up with the technology now? Um, they didn't. And yeah, I think you spoke about chaos and innovation. Mm-hmm. And if you think about chaos and innovation right now, what you mentioned, right? Like, you know, GPT-3, chat GPT, uh, as you said, like there are some people who think about, oh, there are going to be so many jobs that are going to go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, only the top 1% of their field is going to be employed. Rest of them are going to be unemployed. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on chat GPT, uh, chat GPT replacing search, chat GPT accelerating people's jobs? Well. You know, I think for many years we've had issues of, about this. You know, the, sometimes we call it, we call this the Malthusian problem. Sometimes we call this the knowledge problem. But the basic thing is, the world is changing. Like the Malthusian, the first framing of this was Thomas Malthus, where he kind of basically said, "Oh my God, I've looked at the population and I looked at, at our production for food, and we're going to starve. We're, we're making too many humans, and we can't make enough food for the humans." But then technology came along and 
you know, only 2% right. of GDP is spent on agriculture today, but we had technology and seeds and, you know, irrigation and fertilizer and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but then for people who know how to manipulate seeds, that's a new job. The job mm -hmm. didn't previously exist, but now it exists. exists. So I think right. similar to, the, you know, I, I believe like I, I actually literally remember because when I did my degree undergrad, it was the first year at Virginia Tech, that was 1985, it was the first year at Virginia Tech that they offered this thing called computer science. It was a new Got it. You see what I'm saying? Uh, mm -hmm. And now, I mean, Silicon Valley has all these people who have degrees in this thing called computer science. 60 years ago, that wasn't a thing. So right. I think in, 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 you know, 60 years from now, when, when there'll, be, there'll be a whole building on the Duke campus that has a name that neither you or I could pronounce or even understand what it is, and it'll, and it'll be <laughs> core to the running of the new model for business at that point in time. I think generically speaking, um, generically speaking, this is definitely from my perspective, um, mm -hmm. a technological inflection point that's quite big. Now, there, there's, there's a lot more to talk about in this in terms of just kind of economic theory and, 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 and Schumpeterian, um, Schumpeterian creative destruction. But, but basically, the way things work uh, goes like follows. Um, you get a breakthrough in technology, and that breakthrough in technology, uh, let, let's just take it because I know we're going to go there. So let's say whatever, Tesla or Facebook or something. Okay. Let's, let's go with Zuckerberg just for argument's sake because I think you want to talk about Tesla mm -hmm. later. Um, so Zuckerberg figures out this Facebook thing using this new technology and it completely takes off. Now, when when that technology takes off, it, it's taken off because we had an electronic electrical infrastructure put in place and then we had an internet infrastructure put in place and then we had a mobile infrastructure put in place so that there's all these layers of infrastructure that kind of allowed him to do that. Um, and then he came up with this technology and then like 4 billion people are now currently using it or maybe not now but you know mm -hmm. six months ago whatever um uh, and what happens is people invested in facebook so people who have wealth above wage who invest right. in the stock market uh they make a whole ton of cash off that right i invest right. you know if everyone's like wow if you bought a share of apple when steve jobs came back you'd be retiring yeah. right now well, well okay. the average person doesn't. That's that's what that's what 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 uh, economists like Carlotta Perez uh, call a, a, a. It's a casino economy. You're making mm -hmm. money from money. It's money on money returns. Does that make okay. sense? Um, yeah. So yes, you you're investing in the stock. You're looking to get a gain from the stock. But your motivation in investing in the stock is to make money. And so sometimes mm -hmm. one of the issues I think with the with the stock market today is that it too has become technology driven right so now yeah. so now you know the whole robin hood thing and everything else day trading is up uh mm -hmm. essentially you're just looking at algorithms and patterns i know a bunch of day traders okay. they literally don't know what company they're buying it's just that the pattern Ooh. hit and you want to buy and, and and you know 10 minutes later you'll sell and you make money so so it used to be in the you know in the old days with with the likes of warren buffett they were value-based investors where they'd look at a company and they'd say Will this company be 10 times better f 10 years from now than it is now? And that would be a good company. Mm. They were value-based investment. Uh, and so then there was probably a tighter correlation between the business strategy and the profitability of the business and the competitive landscape, all the things we talk about in strategy, and what the stock price is. 
I actually think those two have become way more decoupled of late because the people playing the stock market are, are playing it for financial gain. They're not necessarily, it's not a real way of recognizing the company. Like the variance in how well a stock price <laughs> says how good a company is going to, going how long it's going to last is, is I think, um, less precise today than it was before. Right. Uh, so what happens is, with a new technology like the steam engine, everybody invests in the Rockefellers and the mm -hmm. Vanderbilts and so on and so forth, and they become incredibly wealthy, and those who invest in them become incredibly wealthy. But those who have not had the opportunity to benefit from that, uh, mm -hmm. you get a huge, uh, you get a Gini coefficient goes up. So that, so, so the, the, the wealthy become wealthier and the less wealthy become less, become, become pissed off. And then you have revolutions, <laughs> right? And so, okay. so you can follow the you can follow these 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 curves of when a brand when it, when a new seismic technology comes out, electricity, oil, um, you know, the okay. internal combustion engine, uh, the the internet, right? Um, mm -hmm. And and we are at an inflection point right now, particularly if you look at Carlotta Perez, where where essentially this next level of technology, you know, in the past you could look at these and these technology cycles ran every seventy years. Well, now we've had the internet, we've and had mobile, we've mm -hmm. had social, we've now got AI, ML AI, we've got blockchain, we've got, I mean, mm -hmm. in other words, we used to have a 70-year cycle of these two, truly transformational technologies hitting Correct. us, and then we kind of yeah. had a 70-year period to figure it out, because what happens is the technology comes, creates this gap, people get mad, and then you need to innovate from a society perspective. So for instance, mm -hmm. during the industrial revolution, when we learned how to make machines, right? Using coal first and then electricity for machines. Right. So no more muscles, just actually machines. Um, the government needs to implement child labor laws. We didn't need mm -hmm. child labor laws before, but now when factories are literally using yeah. children, uh, then, 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 then we needed that, or, or we needed, um, for instance, after World War, after the Second World War, the, the U.S. government implemented the whole idea of um, home ownership and and putting mortgages in place so, to where you could you could you could borrow to buy a home. That was very deliberate. That was yeah. coming out of World War II. So, so what you need is kind of policy innovation to yeah. redistribute this inequality in wealth that comes from tech bubbles. So tech bubbles okay. do this. That's what they do. It's just by definition. And they run until they break okay. and then they bust. And then, and then you have to have innovation policy on the other side to solve mm -hmm. the technology. It's almost like you're having to deal with the second and third order effects that we didn't realize. Similarly with okay. the automobile now. We Okay. We didn't realize the carbon emissions, but now we're having to deal with what are we going to do when mm. someone like Musk comes along and tries to solve it with, with the cars. Okay. Um, so, so, so the problem today is that the, the number of truly transformative technologies that are coming within the next 10 years, we've never seen before. And the ability mm. for us to innovate from a societal perspective to address that is quite challenging yeah. because these are global issues, global warming. You see what I'm trying to say? But there's no yeah. jurisdiction that's global. Yeah, exactly. You know what yeah. I mean? So, so yeah. if America says, yeah, I don't want to do whatever, the Paris Accord Treaty, or China, or India, for that matter, yeah. um, because I'm Modi or I'm whomever, and I'm not going to do that, 
well then the world suffers but there's no there's no there's no jurisdiction above that there's no world right. jurisdiction and and, and the, um, all of the institutions that were put in after world war ii like you know imf world bank united nations and all that they're 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 um they're discursive bodies they don't have they don't have teeth they can they can suggest but as as things stand today we have nation states with either uh, whatever democratically elected leaders or, or or not it doesn't really matter to be honest but but they're gonna they're gonna look after their own interests uh, or their country's interests but the the nature of the problems we tend to be dealing with right now the grand it's challenges global. are global and so the first yeah. thing we have to get our head around is how do we actually think about innovating policy at a global mm. level or some people yeah. say no you don't do it at a global level and you don't do it at a national level you should do it at the city level so, mm -hmm. so, so there's there's a lot, you know. I teach, a, as as you know, a class in kind of global markets and institutions, and that, those are a lot of the issues yeah. that we we try to think about: is what kind of institutional innovation would be required to address mm -hmm. problems as complex and important as global warming or AI? Yeah, I think like as you said, right? Like previously, the innovation cycles were like at least seventy yeah. years. So. The governments could experiment, see if like some policies are working or not, and then like come to a stable policy. Mm -hmm. But with so many technologies that are coming up, and like I don't think like the government is that equipped, or uh, they don't get the right resources to invest into it to come up with great policies. And the other thing is also about the chaos, right? Like in terms of like let's look at Web three. There's like so many things going on with respect to crypto and blockchain, like. The governments don't have time to uh, break down the problem and solve for it because they have to. They're more reactive right now. Right. So you've so, got you've got kind of the the Silicon Valley or the Bangalore or the you know uh, Shenzhen. Like we got all these kind yeah. of or, or Haifa in Israel. We got these kind of um, innovation hubs, if you will. You know, Silicon Valley, One Thirty Eight Corridor, yep. Austin here. You know, and 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 they're they are awash in cash from hmm. the last wave of infusion of money, exactly. right? The Googles of the world, you know, great fun in Google yeah. X. You got more money than God <laughs> to go play with stuff. Uh, and they're yes. kicking out technologies because that's what they do. Um, True. And then you've got organizations. You've got companies, mul multinational organizations who, who essentially work around the clock. Their workforce is global, and the work just kind of circumnavigates the globe where the where the sun is shining. So they never stop working. So they they understand how to work globally. They also understand how to take advantage of different uh, political policy regulations. You know, Ireland, my own country, where I come from, um, you know, they had very very low corporate tax, and so most most uh, companies would choose to headquarter there because they would. Less tax. So, so, yes. so companies are very savvy at working in a global context, but countries right. aren't because they're not yeah. global. So we got this. True. We got this. These disconnects, right? We've got the we got the technology crowd who've got you know more money than God, and they're mm -hmm. just off doing what they're going to do. Which is why we're seeing all this new waves of technology coming. And, and there's not a lot of people, I think, pausing to ask, like, right. oh my gosh, we, you know, we haven't even got. Can we even get social media back in the box? And now we're going to mm -hmm. do blockchain and metaverse and 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 like, hold yeah. on, you know. <laughs> but here's the thing: that's not going to stop. Mm -hmm. Technology marches forward, irrespective. 
it has back. Yeah. So yeah. that's that. Yes. That's just an unyielding march forward. That it waits for nothing. Um, yeah. And then and then you've got. You're right. I think governments that kind of number one, uh, going back to self-interest. I mean, largely either the 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 person who who is in an autocratic regime has their own self-interest. Uh, right. Uh, and and will make their decisions on on the nation's behalf that way or through some kind of democratic process which which that's also kind right. of dem democracy doesn't really work when you got two parties because it just creates polarity but i think and yeah. nor does it work in your in your country where you got like 47 parties there's yeah. some there's some i don't know three to nine or something like that where, where that kind of democratic right. part. so literally i think the two driving forces uh in in the last cycle the last 70 year cycle w were d democracy hmm. right with the falling of the berlin okay. wall uh, and capitalism got it uh and and it's almost today both of those models are actually running out of gas almost pun intended they're they're, they're kind of they've they're, they're hitting they're hitting an impasse to where they they, they yeah. can't necessarily you know the, the 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 capitalist model you, you just it's very clear roger martin has a really really good book more is more is not enough kind of thing or mm. more is not better that's right that's what it's called. Okay. and basically he goes through an economic analysis and said in 1978 that's where things went from being a regular gaussian distribution to a parallel distribution and that the right. wealthy get wealthier the you know that and in 78 he's got a very nice analysis of how this happens and a lot of that has to do with technology because we removed mm -hmm. a lot of friction in the system, and then wealth accrued to those who 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 own the new system, and and even right. if you look at that today, right, the seven seven of the ten largest companies market cap market capitalization. This is stock price, right? Uh, and their capitalization is insane because of what I told you about mm -hmm. earlier with the kind of irrationality of the market. Um, they're platform companies. Yep. They used to be oil companies. Like big Apple, for example. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so Apple has sat, you know, sometimes at a three trillion dollar valuation. Yeah. Um, that means that people, well, what that used to mean, if you were kind of more of like a Warren Buffett value-based investor, is that 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 you know, it will, I don't know what their earnings are, but but basically, the the all those earning multiples are out the door now because it's like three <laughs> trillion dollars. That means we think that they're going to make like whatever. T t 10 new innovations like what they did with the phone and yep. so on and so forth and it's kind of like well where are they going to come from <laughs> I, I, i'm yeah. not I, I, it's not a, a knock on apple i'm just saying that it's almost like the market expectations are pretty unreal really you know yeah. I mean? in terms of in yeah. terms of what can happen so so the capitalist model to a certain extent is kind of its limitation is that it, it left to its own devices and driven by tech you can even look at this perhaps a bit with crypto and how it's going up and down and so mm. on and so forth yeah let alone what went on with sb whatever was on. SBA. <laughs> yes. um, uh, there's challenges there and then with the democracy it's clear that we're seeing freedom house and all these other things democracy is in retreat uh, right. so we're seeing a lot more and that's because that well in my opinion that's because essentially in a democratic in a democratic system particularly when it falls down to to just two it, it, it's no longer about kind of a represent representation for the people that's keeping my seat, uh, and, and then it just becomes very very conflictual, uh, okay. and and therefore nothing 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 moves forward. So so you've got okay. technology moving at jerk rate, and coming mm -hmm. up with 
you name it, you know, GPT-3 this week yep. and blockchain next week and who knows what the week next after week, that yes. or the, minute, the millisecond after that. You got organizations yeah. who figured out how to work globally to maximize profitability by almost taking advantage of the slowness of government to respond. And then you've got uh, problems that are at a global scale that individual countries are not even incented to solve. Um, so therefore, what that actually means, in my opinion, and certainly in the opinion of, of those of us who, who teach at Duke, is that business can and must become more of a force for good in the world. You know, right. business is probably better positioned to be able to deal with these complex global issues in partnership with government. But, right. um, and I think you're seeing this a little more with here in America, the business roundtable, and we want to move from shareholder value to stakeholder value. And a, a lot of right. that's rhetoric at the moment. But I do feel, you know, some of the underlying theory, the stuff we did in strategy with creating shared value, you need profit. You've got to have profit to grow. True. Uh, uh, I think there's opportunities there for business to do good and do well. Um, and that I think the capabilities of business to drive innovation in the right direction, partnered with okay. the right kind of policy from government, we're going to have to see a lot more mixed coalitions that way, as opposed mm. to traditional business leaders just hiding behind, all I have to do is deliver shareholder value, that's my job. And right. I think that, that, I think the jury's in on that one at this point in time, that that, that <laughs> doesn't necessarily work. Yeah. Before I get into that part of like companies need to look at as a force for good, mm. one theory that my friend and I were talking about was like, as you said, companies are global, but countries solving problems are still national, mm -hmm. right? Do you think will, uh, will there be a point of time where, uh, countries might become digital? Like, oh, yeah. you know, about DAOs, decentralized autonomous yeah, organizations, yeah, digital economy. Yeah, or, or more, um, I would probably say the person who's advocating that particular position the most is Balaji Srinivasan, um, the yeah. network state. So Balaji was yeah. with, uh, I think he was like the CTO of Coinbase and he was Andreessen Horowitz. Yeah. Phenomenal, phenomenal intellect, uh, very, very thoughtful um, and really knows tech. And so, so, so you know, uh, for, for a long time, many other people have talked about this, you know, uh, countries aren't stable either, by the way. So there's, I don't know, I was just looking at it today. I think there's 195 countries in the world. Um, uh, and, 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 and the, the rules change. And, and, and so he, he, his concept is kind of, this actually happened some time ago. A while back, um, Zuckerberg was trying to release Libra. You know, he was trying to create his own currency inside. And, and okay. the idea there is that, so that, that's the network state. So, so, so essentially, a way, a way to think about it is, um, um, the Catholic Church, okay. Hmm. So the Catholic Church is run out of Rome. It's got a, it's got a, it's got a whole set of rules and policies. And, and, and if you're a member of the Catholic Church, you could live in Ireland and you could be part of your parish, and you're an Irish okay. citizen and you pay taxes in Ireland, but you really okay. mostly associate with with the Catholic and Church. also with home base in Rome. But, but mm. you know, all up and down, mostly up in the Northeast here in the United States, there's, there's more Catholics up there than not, right? And he's like, well, like, what if I'm a, what if I'm in a network state of whatever, you know? And mm -hmm. I can live in India or I can live in America and whatnot, but I, I, right. you know, I, I run my life digitally in this world. And then you see places like Taiwan and Estonia who are kind of trying to say, yeah, 
digital passports and fungibility and moving through. It's not it's not dissimilar to what you see in the metaverse now. With the metaverse, the whole idea is interoperability. I should be able to leave my okay. Fortnite world with my identity and end up in Need for Speed. I'm just using two games okay. as an example there. But yeah. if we're going to build the metaverse, uh, mm-hmm. then the 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 fungibility of your identity and your credentials and your currency moving between worlds it's kind of like going from ireland to great britain and great britain to you know you used to have to change all your money and then we came up with credit cards and so on and so forth um it, it's similar to that and so i i don't think that it's at all out of the realm of possibility that that could happen um but do you think governments will allow that like governments of the world especially like say, you China. just tell me the governments are having a hard time figuring this out in the first place i mean it is but like imagine like something that's out of their control like this is going to be run like on the blockchain like everything is by the people there's no people that no government entity as such yeah. uh, so like how do you think governments are going to react if like something like this exists well i think things like this already exist and they're unaware you know i mean that this is what mm. i'm saying it's just it it's 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 um it's on a different plane <laughs> Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, so like every 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 kind of every kind of heuristic or rule base that you might choose I mean there's no jurisdiction now, right? I mean I from my perspective technology companies and it's not it's not it's not maliciously but they've escaped regulatory capture. Mm. You know what I mean? It's kind of like okay, so so let's say just imagine for a second that um what Tristan Harris and others have been tr- trying to push and say that social media truly, you know, brings out the worst angels of our nature and is, you know, Jonathan Haidt and all his work about just very specifically how Instagram, you know, can have a very, very negative effect on, 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 on f- teenage females, for instance. Um, and so now the policy, the government in the United States decides, which I, I, I'm not saying it could happen because mm. one side just doesn't want to do the opposite of what the other wants to do. But let's imagine that they got right. together and said, okay, uh, we're gonna we're gonna banish the advertising model on all social media platforms here in the United States. Hmm. Okay. Well, oh my God, that's the end of the world for Facebook. No, it's not. They're There's only two hundred million users here. They got four billion worldwide. So yeah, it's a dent, maybe, Correct. if the enforceability of that could even happen. You see what I'm trying True. to say? So so yeah. that's what I mean by escaping regulatory capture. It's like. Yeah. The, would that be big news in the United States and the Congress has said and blah, 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 and advertising is no longer allowed as a business model? You know, it's kind of like you can't smoke anymore, whatever. Right. Um, okay, great. There's 1.2 billion people smokers in China. So let's just kind of go there. Um, mm. You see what I'm trying to say? So, so, so yeah. digital stuff, okay, just put the servers elsewhere. If, we, if, if the jurisdiction doesn't work there and Change the right. country, yeah. So I, you know, I, sure. I kind of feel like I, I, I don't think that. I, I, I think the the emergence of something like what Balaji talks about with a network state, uh, certainly, if I was trying to handicap its likelihood happening, very low on my list would be kind of government intervention. I, I just don't feel that they're even, they've even got the radar to detect what's going on there, because it's not their, it's not their thing. Yeah, I, I think we can. Uh, you're talking about. Uh, the metaverse, Facebook, mm. Instagram, and I think in one of our classes you mentioned that hey, Meta is gonna be a little uh, is late to the party. Like you thought they're gonna do it earlier. 
what do you think about uh, Facebook's pivot to Meta and like focus on the metaverse? Yeah. Um, well, so as you know, I did a lot of research into you know metaverse the last time when mm -hmm. I was still at IBM, um, and, and and I think. I mean, look, I spent I spent three years in the metaverse back then. So so I guess my opinion, I wrote a book on this stuff. Uh, <laughs> my opinion kind of comes from having been there. I think it's very, very difficult for people to criticize something if they haven't experienced it. So that's that's one issue. Um, so back then, I actually was a, a big believer in in the metaverse, actually, you know, coming to fruition and adding a lot of value and, you know, did some thoughtful analysis on how it could add value. But there were two there were two technological impediments to right. essentially being adopted. One was over the air bandwidth and the other was in machine com computation cycles. Both of those are no longer issues, particularly with right. the arrival of 5G, right? Um, and then obviously this Mac today that I have compared to 10 years ago is just like, it's like a supercomputer, right? Um, so I think those technological hurdles have gone away. Now the same so now I'm going to flip on technology. So, so I talked about technology being a disruptor and so on and so forth. Yeah. The, but there, there's a whole nother thing about kind of if you look at the management of technology and how, how, how you deal with it. And, and, and unfortunately, we all fall prey to something that Peter Drucker calls the routinization trap, which is mm -hmm. we tend to take a radically new technology and use it to automate the past. Right. Assumptions and all. So we don't. We don't look at the inherent affordances within the technology and ask how might it solve the problem. We just say, oh, cool, this computer can calculate faster than us. So let's create a calculating machine so we can get rid of humans. You see what I'm trying to say? Right, yeah. So, so we, we try to automate the past actions, yeah. And then so it's, it's almost like even today, if you look at Eric Schmidt, so he wrote a really good book with Kissinger recently on, on kind of where AI is going, right? And when, when, when Eric took over uh, Google, he was kind of like, you know, the adult in the room, not unlike perhaps Sheryl Sandberg in, in, in Facebook. And, and they were like, um, you know, once he saw the trend of mobile, it's like, we need to be mobile first, right? And, and so, so, so kind of seeing, seeing, seeing on that trend. And technology, like I said, starts to iterate on top of itself. And if you have the kind of cash infusion coming in, it, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's going to happen. Now, with the metaverse, now I think with web3 so with the blockchain underpinning um, and then i mean if you if it's the same it's the same crowd of characters going round and round and round so like the web3 movement now with with uh with uh, they're all essentially the original web people but they're kind of saying essentially the internet got hijacked by these platforms the internet used to be open http colon slash slash open yep and then what we ended up getting was all these wall gardens, whether it was AOL or Facebook or whatnot. Right. It's kind of like, you know, they hijack the internet and want to want to command your attention to control your consumption kind of model, uh, which is then predicated on the advertising model. So there's one thing that says get rid of the advertising model, and there's another thing that's like let's get the let's get the internet back to what it was right. to to open, and then let's bolt a uh, let's build a currency on the bottom of it using the ledger right uh, so that we can we can literally lay claim to digital assets my identity currency whatever that everything, is everything yeah so i think that the the kind of the technological stars are lining up no problem um, right. and we'll probably have network states yep maybe already have some um, yes. And that's going to be a very different world. I had a, a good friend of mine back in back ten years ago was an economist, Ted Castronova, um, 
And he he started to look at the economies of these gaming. Like gaming was much bigger in kind of South Korea and places like that than here. So there was a game called Lineage, and then World of Warcraft took out here. But but some of these some of those economies, like the currency inside those environments, one of them got to be as big as the GDP of Russia. Right. Just these gaming environments, Fortnite. Mm. Just think about it, right? How right. much how much people buying skins and so on and so forth. So I think we already already have, if you will, network states, people who play Fortnite all around the world or people who play Minecraft all around the world, and there's a currency and, and so on and so forth. So I, I, can, I can completely see, see that happening. Um, uh, if you had to say like... Here's what I'd years. say. I don't... I, don't, I feel with, with, with Zuckerberg um, and going in, he, he clearly invested a lot of money in Oculus. I okay. think he kind of sees that, but... My, my, my concern with that is if it becomes a 3D-based Facebook advertising model, mm. we're in trouble. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, so on the one side, you've got the, you've got the old school open, uh, open internet pioneers, like John, the likes of John Perry Barlow, who's no longer with us, but those kind of folks, right? Um, mm -hmm. um, uh, they want the they want the technology to come back to being completely open, right. and, and then the blockchain stuff coming along to be completely transparent. It's like a trust right. protocol. So the hope there is that open and open and trust, great. Right. We have we have that kind of system. However, on top of that platform, just like on top of the HTTP platform, if you put a three D rather than two D right. social platform, mm. and then its business model is advertising. Then I almost feel like we'll be worse off, mm, because true. today at least we spend some time in meat space outside. Yep. But then you spend all your time in the literally will be you know yeah. the one liner if if something is free you're the product. <laughs> that and is so, true. And so I think our digital selves would essentially be kind of trapped in in, mm. in the wrong kind of metaverse. So yeah. what do I think about Facebook? I think that um, I think that he's a bold innovator. I think that he spent a lot of money. I think he had money to spend, but now you can see he's backing off, right? Mm, so true. a fair amount of layoffs um, yeah. on the meta side of things. And I think it'll take a while for the metaverse to sort itself out. I mean, Neil Stevenson came up with the term quite some time ago. Um, and, uh, but to my way of thinking, it's definitely got some applicability and mm -hmm. uh, it's just going to be playing better in some instances. Um, and, and there will be people yet again who mm -hmm. they will be the next Rockefeller. They'll be the Rockefeller of the 3D blockchain based okay. network state. Got it. Uh, yeah. And we'll be back into the same cycle again. Same loop. <laughs> but the problem is the, the peak of that loop now, Deke, should I worry about? Because it's mm -hmm. not just electricity. Or it's not just uh, gasoline power, or it's not Get just it. the internet. It's right. now the internet plus social plus mobile, plus Web three plus blockchain plus AI. Right. All coming together. Correct. <laughs> yeah. I think. And, and one thing I can tell you is, if you go back to the very first matrix I shared with you, got it. Predictability of outcome. Close to zero. Mm. Environmental certainty. What button to push or pull? You don't know zero. at all. <laughs> so, 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 you know, um, so, so, so we can't be reductionist mm. 
in right. you know what I mean? If ever there was a, a time to not fall prey to the law of requisite complexity, uh, or to fall prey to uh, the, the the routinization trap, it's now. And yet, if history teaches us anything, that's what we tend to do. So that right. that's a problematic thing, just from a, which goes back to your first question. And it's funny, you know, a lot of students ask me that. It's like, how do you think? You know, mm. they, 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 it's more of an epistemological question. It's, okay, great, what is strategy or marketing or any of that stuff? I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's good stuff. But I actually think we kind of need a step change in sense-making and how, we, how, how humanity makes sense of things. And I think that AI is going to have an important role to play in that. Right. You know, I think that... Um, yeah, this argument about GPT-3 and, oh, my gosh, now kids are never going to write essays, you know. <laughs> it's like I'm very glad that, that uh, this thing didn't come out six months ago when my kid was writing college essays. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's what's going to happen next year. Um, and so the first reaction there is how do we stop it? How do we get technology yeah. to stop GPT? I'm like, well, that's the biggest fool's errand you've ever seen. It's like how yeah. do I get technology to stop blockchain? How do I, it, 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 That's not going to happen. Okay. So That's now, true. how do we embrace it? Because companies are going to take advantage of it. Companies okay. are going to take advantage of the blockchain. Companies are going to take advantage of, you know, the, the, there is value in that. Mm -hmm. Right? So how do we teach people? No, actually, teach is not the right word. How do we create the learning conditions within which people can come to understand how to deal with these complex situations? Yep. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. Right. That's true. But uh, I can go on and on with you, Professor, but I think we are on time. So I'm going to end the podcast here with this okay. amazing conversation. I think Hopefully we got, there's another part. We got through your first question, Diksha. Sorry? I think we only got through your first question. Yes. We, but that's okay. Yes. Keep continued, maybe. Um, yep. But yeah, thank you so much, Professor. Like, I definitely enjoy all the conversations. This was one, uh, one another one. So thank you so much.
we talk about COVID today, the first wave of COVID was essentially when we got hit by the pandemic and our, and our medical systems weren't designed to deal with that. And so we didn't have enough ventilators and people died. The second wave that hit the medical system was all the people who had chronic conditions who were not able to go to the hospital when it was being absorbed by COVID. And the third wave was the people with kind of acute conditions, less serious, they were chronic continuous conditions. And so the, the, the medical system kind of got hit with three waves of surges of demand. That's a first, second and third order effect, if you will, of COVID.